Hello, and welcome to this episode of STATS, the podcast where we share the accomplishments of the Department of Surgery at Baylor Scott & White Medical Center in Temple, Texas. I'm your host, Dr. Lonnie Gentry. The STATS podcast is sponsored by Dr. Harry Papa Constantino, the chair of the Department of Surgery. In this episode, we begin a series discussing the most common surgical procedures that are done in the United States. The purpose of this series is to explain to the average person what to expect when one of these procedures is recommended. Along the way, we'll identify symptoms that indicate the need for the procedure, what to expect when undergoing the procedure, and what to look forward to following the procedure. My guest for today's podcast is Dr. Marwan El-Taib. Dr. El-Taib has been a urologist for 16 years. He has been at Baylor Scott & White and Temple for eight years, and for the last two years, he has been the Director of the Division of Urology in the Department of Surgery. Dr. El Taib joins me today to discuss the procedure known as Holmium Laser Enucleation of the Prostate, or HOLIP for short. Dr. Taib, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Lonnie, for, uh, for having me today. It's always fun to chat with you. It is. It's always good to get together. So what are the symptoms that would indicate the need for HOLIP surgery? So... Holop surgery is holmium laser enucleation of the prostate. What does that mean? That it involves a prostate as an organ, and the surgical procedure is using the laser. So the symptoms would be something around the prostate symptoms or the obstruction symptoms. So as men gets older, they will start having difficulty urinating. They will start having an enlarged prostate and as a result of that, difficulty urinating, they have to push. When they urinate, they stop and go. The stream becomes slower and smaller. And there are multiple uh, ways to treat that. One of the most common ways is that we start people on medication. But due to the increased life expectancy in men in the United States, so this medication at some point stops working. And when they stop working, that's the role for minimally invasive intervention. And there are multiple ways or multiple surgical intervention that we can deal with an enlarged prostate. And one of them, and one of the least invasive, is holmium laser enucleation of the prostate when it is compared to a different uh, surgical interventions. So what do you do when you do that procedure? Great question. So if you can imagine the prostates like an orange with the peel outside and the fruit inside, we use the laser to go around the prostate, which if you can imagine, it is the fruit of the orange and take it out of the peel and leave the patient with just the capsule of the prostate without disturbing any nerves. And we ended up enucleating or removing that fruit or the prostate, pushing it inside the bladder. And then we use another device called morselator. And the morselator is a device that we cut the prostate into small pieces. And that's how we get that big prostate or massive prostate out of the patient with the least invasive way possible. How does this compare to the TERP? I take it the TERP was once the, the yeah. gold standard and now you've moved to the hullet. Yeah, so the TERP is still for smaller or average size prostate is still the gold standard. However, laser surgery or enucleation or a whole, it has gained a lot of popularity because of very minimally invasive. It is less bleeding compared to TERP. It removes as much tissue as possible, and it removes more prostate than a TERP. And 
patients tend to spend less time in the hospital, have less bleeding, have less erection problems, and have less irritation problem after surgery, and they will have a better strain. And also a pretty good advantage of the HOLAB is that the risk of retreatment, which is very important, especially if you are doing a patient on the younger age kind of side, is that the risk of retreatment is less than two in every thousand in a HOLAB in compared to a TURB, which is about 10%. And, and the TURB, TURB is basically is like creating a channel inside the prostate. It's like as if you are having like a jackhammer, but an electric jackhammer and <laughs> kind of, you know, and trying to remove tissue. So you remove small pieces of prostate tissue at a time. Mm-hmm. And there is a limit on the time that you can, like, you know, it's not advisable to have, to do a TURB procedure for more than two and a, two half, two and a half hours. Patients will start having problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when you do a bigger prostate, with a TURB, then you will start having more bleeding and more problems. So the whole is the gold standard for any prostate that is above 80 grams. Uh-huh. Now the guidelines have recognized HOLOB as a to-go procedure for any size prostate. I see. So when the patient is motivated to treat the symptoms, the medication's no longer working, there's discomfort, and he wants to do something about this, he makes an appointment to see you or another urologist, describe the first visit that the patient will have with with you, for example. Yeah. So we will make, uh, we'll kind of discuss with the patient his symptoms, uh, his family history. We'll take like a good history in the beginning. Um, We'll also discuss goals. What is your goal? And we'll discuss expectation. What are you expecting out of this visit? And then we'll, we'll do some tests on the first visit. Usually we will do something called a uroflometry. Uh, which is assessing the speed of the urine just to get an objective measurement on how good or not good they are urinating and also measure the amount of urine in their bladder after urinate, something with a bladder scanner, uh, something called post-void residual, is after urination residual of urine. Also, will make the patient fill a symptom uh, score questionnaire just to get some something in writing and also will make the patient uh, fill the quality of life symptom questionnaire, which is... You know, if you would live the rest of your life like this, how you rate your life quality. And then we get an idea at this visit. And then a few things important to discuss. How good is your erection? How good is your ejaculation? Is ejaculation is important for you or not? Sexual history, you kind of have a partner or not. Uh, and it is important also to have the partner kind of available during that visit so we can kind of get a shared decision making if they would like that. And then decide on the next step, which is, you know, if the medication failed, we already know that, then we move to a procedure called cystoscopy, which is taking a look inside the bladder with a scope. It's an office procedure that's done under local anesthesia or like nitrous gas uh, analgesia. And then we decide what kind of procedure would be good for that specific patient and taking in consideration the goals, shared decision-making, and, and then go from there. Now, either HOLAB is the procedure for him or some of the other minimally invasive options that we also do, like the Eurolift or the Resume or the ITEN. So there are multiple procedures. But if the patient wants the procedure that will give him a long-term result and with a very low retreatment rate, with a very low rate of side effects, then I would advise with a HOLAB if, if mm-hmm. this is a procedure that... He needs. I can imagine that fear of losing the ability to have an erection 
is what slows a lot of men down as they consider the surgery or just maybe it's an unfounded fear, but I'm sure you discussed that. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So whole, it does not affect erections whatsoever. So it has zero chance of affecting erections. Nothing is zero, but it is very close to zero. There is no data to support that it will impact uh, erection in a negative way. However, some actually patients kind of report anecdotally that they have an improvement in their erection. It's not scientifically proven, but we have so many patients uh, that report that, oh, I have an improvement in my erection afterward. So that should not be a concern for a holob or for any of the newer uh, minimal invasive procedure. However, holob impacts ejaculation. So they will still ejaculate. They will feel that they ejaculated, but they will see nothing coming out mm-hmm. with their ejaculation. So that's something that I discuss with the patient very clearly mm-hmm. uh, to have this expectation uh, because that's kind of going to be a long-term effect with the holo. So as I understand it, the ejaculate goes into the bladder? Yes, it goes to the bladder. It's, a, it's something called retrograde ejaculation, and it also happens with most of the medications that mm-hmm. treats enlarged prostate, mm-hmm. uh, including like the Flomex, for example, or the Rabaflow, uh, like it's uh, either Temsulosin or Silodosin. And it also happens with the finasteride. So all these medications can impact ejaculation as well. Other procedure also impacts ejaculation is like the TERP. It also affects ejaculation. But the orgasm will be the same. Uh, the feeling will be the same. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing coming out. So it's also advisable if, if a patient wants to have kids, if even he's on mm-hmm. you know, the older mm-hmm. side, then the whole or the TERP is not for him. And some of the medication as well is not for him. Mm-hmm. So the patient decides to proceed. What are the steps that are going to lead to the day of surgery? Yeah, so after completing all the workup, including a PSA test, um, just to make sure that there is no concern of prostate cancer, and then we uh, we run some blood work, and um, usually we want to get like an EKG, just to make sure the heart is working as it should be, chest X-ray, make sure that the lungs uh, should be, and then we schedule surgery. Our team uh, is great in, in scheduling surgery very efficiently, and everything will be in writing, everything will be explained, and we get him on the schedule and get things taken care of uh, if everything looks good from the medical kind of standpoint. And then we go do the surgery. In the day of surgery, as uh, you advise not to eat or drink anything after midnight, and then we go ahead and, and, and do the surgery. Surgery usually takes about... Um, one to two hours. It depends on the size of the prostate. For massive prostate, it can take longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, most prostates will will take about between one to two hours. Mm-hmm. Are there complications at times? There are some complications. Uh, fortunately, it's a very low risk mm-hmm. uh, and procedure. Uh, so there is always a risk of bleeding with any prostate surgery, even the least invasive ones. And the risk of bleeding with the holop is about 3%. Uh, there is a risk of uh, infection. It's also very low. It's less than 1%, uh, especially that we get a urine culture before surgery to make sure that the patient does not have any infection. There is a risk of temporary urine leakage or incontinence. That's usually temporary and very mild. Uh, about 70% of patients are completely dry within two weeks of surgery, after surgery. And uh, about 99%, 95 to 97% to 99%, it depends on the age group because there are different kind of incontinence rate with age group. But most patients, about 99% are completely dry within three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, risk of long-term leakage or incontinence is one in every 200 only. 
So it is one of, uh, of the lowest incontinence uh, rate after any prostate surgery. Mm-hmm. So it's a same-day outpatient procedure? So it, it depends. Most of our patients are from out of town. Uh, so we usually keep them overnight just to mm-hmm. kind of save them the trouble of, uh, of just kind of traveling as a day of surgery. If the patient is locally and he's motivated, uh, then we usually send him home. Uh, with a catheter just for less than 24 hours. But most patients will spend just less than 24 hours in the hospital. Next thing in the morning, we go ahead and take the catheter out. And after you urinate twice, we send them home. We tell them expectations after surgery that the urine will be having some blood. Uh, That's not something uh, to worry about. We advise them not to lift anything heavier than Mm -hmm. 10 pounds for two weeks. They can play golf uh, because that's a question I get a lot. (laughs) <laughs> um, they can play golf actually that weekend but they don't have to do the whole uh, 18 holes <laughs> but they can they can go like mild activities they can walk around usually we advise against any strenuous physical activity for at least two weeks and no sexual intercourse for at least two weeks after surgery just to make sure there's no bleeding everything is just kind of better not to irritate the prostate mm-hmm. So the patient will, after surgery, if they stay in the hospital the next day, they see you and they go home. Mm-hmm. If they go home, they come back, see you, take the cath out, and then go home. So go they home. don't see you again until... Six weeks after surgery. Uh-huh. And we usually get a PSA test, which is prostate-specific antigen, mm-hmm. uh, because it should drop down after surgery to a very low level. So when I get that, just kind of make sure that there's no surprises mm-hmm. and we get like... A, bottom line of the PSA, what is the lowest level of the PSA, because this will be the lowest level of the PSA for that patient. And it sets a tone about the follow-up in the future. Mm-hmm. So the healing process is, when you say complete, and how long? Complete healing process can take up to um, between three to six months, mm-hmm. but patients will feel about 99% normal two weeks after surgery. So after two weeks, you're pretty much clear to do you're pretty much to do like go back to your kind of life um, as you wish uh, just kind of you know just take it easy and try to do things progressively mm-hmm. you don't want to go <laughs> and hike about 10 miles like you know after right. two weeks it's it's it, take you, it easy. your prostate will not going to be happy with that but just take it easy do it slowly but uh, you know at two weeks you can just resume your normal gradually is there an average age that men have the surgery, or does it vary considerably? So my average age from my data, which is more than 1,700 patients we have done so far at Scott & White in eight years, is about 72. We have done as young as 44. I have done 99 years old here. Wow. Yeah. And it went well. It went great. Anything else about the procedure that you would want to share with someone who's either thinking about it or been recommended and just feeling a little uh, anxious about it? Well, what I would say is uh, it is a very minimally invasive procedure, very low rate of side effects, uh, very low rate of complication. If you have an enlarged prostate that is giving you trouble, that you try medication is not working, feel free to reach out get evaluated, give you an honest opinion. And some patient that tells them, you know, holub is not for you. It may not work. Uh, it will not work, especially with this kind of patients that they have a lot of irritative symptoms in their bladder. They, like frequency and urgency a lot with no significant enlarged prostate. Mm-hmm. 
So this patient's holdup will not going to work great for them. They will need some other sort of evaluation treatment, mm-hmm. other medical treatment, or even other surgical intervention, but not holdup. Or maybe holdup was something else, was some other intervention. But if you are having a problem urinating, just reach out. We'll be happy to evaluate and take a look and give you an opinion whether it's going to work for you or not. Mm-hmm. Dr. El Taib, thanks so much for talking with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. I know you're very busy, so thanks for (laughs) making time for us to do this. And I'm sure it will help those that uh, find the podcast and listen to it. Yeah, thanks for spreading the word. Yeah, wish you the best in your work. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Stats. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Sharing the Accomplishments of Temple Surgery.